Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, Aspire Leaders, you cannot believe it, but I have my good friend Mitch Weathers back on the program because he has some incredible news on a brand new book, and I'm super excited to dive in and learn all about the fantastic. And actually, you know what? I'm going to preface this by saying I've already read the book, and it's phenomenal. So you need to check it out, jump on that pre-order, and we're going to give you some more details about how you can uh, get your hands on this phenomenal resource. But Mitch, thank you so much for being on Aspire to Lead. Josh, thanks for having me back, man. I really appreciate it and taking the time to read the book. Yeah. I mean, I had to put my stamp of approval. I had to give an endorsement as soon as possible because, like I said, it's fantastic and I can't wait to kind of run through, you know, just kind of the, the premise of the book and why folks should pick it up. Before we do that, if for some crazy reason they didn't get a chance to listen to your last episode, we just kind of give them a quick rundown of your journey and what you're up to today. Yeah. Entered the classroom. Gosh, I don't know what I said on the last show, but uh, <laughs> over 20 years ago and early on in my career, was fortunate enough to work with students who are incredibly capable, multi-language learners, most of them, uh, but struggling academically and had done so historically and really got to work and became very passionate about like, what, what's going on here? Nobody talked about this in graduate school. And I didn't have the language for it, but it the, became very clear that like, oh, you don't know how to do school. And the good news for you is I really didn't either. And my lived experience was so much different than you know, you, if the students that I was working with at the time. And I was able to kind of make it through, I guess you will. But I just, I experienced, I remember experiencing my education more of a, as a passive object as opposed to an active subject in the process and not knowing how to kind of jump in and those skills and habits that you need to kind of, to have that agency. And I've been kind of convicted and motivated by that pursuit ever since, because I really am absolutely convinced that it's this work that lays the foundation for learning. And then what's secondary. And again, I think we, you and I talked about this on the last time. It's not a, a hierarchy or right or wrong or what's better or worse. It's just an order of operations. And we tend to miss the development of executive functioning skills and focus largely on content and curriculum. If we can get that foundation started or laid, then students are far more successful. So that's kind of what's been my work. Um, From that place evolved a program called Organized Binder, and I formed a company around that uh, we work with schools around the United States and internationally now, um, and that program is all about equipping students with executive functioning skills. And that happens to be the topic of the book that we're going to discuss too. Yes, and so let's let's kind of dive into that because I mean I'm already chomping at the bit to to discuss further. But the book Executive Functioning for Every Classroom, and I want to know. Th- the why, right? The maybe the problem that you saw prior to the book, and what led you and motivated you to take the time to actually create a resource for teachers and educators across the country. The why, I'll circle back to kind of what I was just saying, but really, the challenge that I 
embraced was how do I distill this down into a really, and I'd, I'd love to get your feedback on this as well, but a fairly easy to read resource for teachers that is rich with data and research, but has very practical takeaways for that teacher. That's what I'm, I'm passionate about, specifically around the development of these executive functioning skills. And I, th I think that conviction and challenge for myself came from, I'm obviously I'm very interested in this topic and I believe that it's incredibly important. And I know that it historically has been left up to chance. We just hope we all pick these skills up as we go through life. And we know that's not the case anymore. And we can obviously talk about the pandemic, but much of what I've read over the years was not super accessible and not easily translatable into that gen ed. So that, that's a big part of this work is saying, hey, this is tier one. This is a universal tier one uh, program or approach or strategies in that MTSS or RTI pyramid. So for all kids, right, that all kids are gen ed first, and then they, we can have different accommodations as needed. So trying to hit that and saying, okay, now this is both accessible, there's tangible takeaways, it's incredibly practical for teachers as a resource. So that was kind of the my why, I think, is having it be be that. I mean, you start off the book, and I, I love this piece because, you know, it talks about like the executive dysfunction and the disengagement with students. And, you know, you gave some great stories in there too. But, you know, I kind of saw that as kind of like the the proposed problem that, that we're seeing in right. education and, you know, Absolutely. things that we need to combat. So will you just kind of mm -hmm. share out what you saw in regards to that struggle? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So you're right. They, they kind of kick the book off with, first of all, what are these executive functioning skills, but then dive right into um, that, I guess, you know, that, that problem or that why. Um, and it, I can take it back to where you know, the students that I first started working with and, and all the kids I've worked with ever since, looking at um, how do we develop that sense of agency or dexterity in a learner so that uh, how they approach whatever it is they're trying to learn, um, they have that that skill set and these habits in place that are really kind of theirs. And what's interesting to me, and this is the big why and the, the problem that's solved or this book aims to solve, um, or at least address, is that when we reel it back three years ago and we enter this pandemic, this global phenomenon, which anybody that I know has never experienced anything like that, I now have the same conversations with um, educators who are, are gripped with this increased um, dysregulation in the students that they're teaching everywhere on every continent. I'm finding myself in these conversations where they're seeing that there's a need for this work to develop this skill set in order to lay that foundation for learning. Um, and some of that is about self-regulation and accountability. And, and we'll get into that with the different chapters. And so in that sense, I would say that's a silver lining to what we've experienced in the last few years. Um, because when we do set students up for success in this way, um, it's profound. And so that that's really the big why. It's again, looking at that foundation work and 
And how to do that, though, and that's if, if the books I've read and the PDs, we've all sat in on things that are really inspiring, but they're not practical. And they don't translate because as you and I were chatting before the show, right, we're the time crunch. Like if it takes me too much time or I have to completely reconfigure everything I do in order to incorporate this into my practice, it's just not as feasible. And so helping creating a resource for teachers, again, that practical takeaway that that's not going to have an incredible time footprint or cause them to completely reconfigure what they're doing to start this work. Yeah, and I think it's uh, James Clear of Atomic Habits. He always talks about like making things easy to create those habits, even if it's something really, really small. And I think that your book does that. I think it doesn't make it so overarching, large, and like this huge project that you have to overcome <laughs> to make it work, um, which right. I really appreciated. So I want to dive into kind of the the teaching of executive functioning and. And I know I've read I read it like a week ago, so forgive me if I get this wrong, but I, I remember specifically you talking about the modeling of these skills and how important that is. And sometimes when it's implemented in the classroom, it's just not done in the correct way. So can you just touch on that as far as, you know, what has been done in the past as far as teaching these executive skills that have not gone over very well when a teacher is trying to provide this to the students? You know, historically... They haven't been taught, and, and the, the, the resources that I've found over the years um, tend towards more of like a curriculum that can be adopted into a, a class, which of course then almost always has to be some type of advisory or homeroom or support class because every other grade level in class already has a curriculum. And that's one point I make very clearly in the in the book is that I've never met a teacher that doesn't want their students to have exposure to and practice with and eventually hone these executive functioning skills. There's nobody that's going to argue that point. So then we have to scratch our heads and say, well, then why aren't we doing anything about it? And I, I believe it's two reasons. One, time. I don't have time to I don't have enough time to get through what I'm tasked with teaching in the first place. So how even if I want all of this? Where am I going to find the time? It's just not a reality. And the second point I make is what I, I like to call a teacher's zone of genius. And, and although I want my students, of course, I want them to develop these. I teach fourth grade and that's like my jam. Like you should come to my classroom. I, that's my zone of genius, right? You've been in those classrooms where someone's like, this is what I do, right? Every day, it's like a mic drop. I'm so good at this. Like, I love this. Like, they're all in. Um, and they may not know what working memory and how do I flex that and some of the stuff, you know, going into in the book. Or it just may not be like my thing, right? So uh, recognizing those two. And then if it is a curriculum, and I kind of go out on a limb here a little bit in the book um, and just say like, those tend to be boring. I just, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, like sitting in a, a lesson or a unit on goal setting, as opposed to setting goals within the context of what I'm learning. One in my mind, and this is just my opinion um, from lots of years of experience with this, but one's very kind of passive and one's very active and messy and 
you know, I'm setting goals with an actionable daily task and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for evidence each week or every couple of weeks at working. And if not, what do I do? And so I've seen an implementation you asked about, like historically or in the past, what hasn't worked. Any of these, you know, kind of implementations in that kind of support or advisory class, I just, my experience is students immediately perceive the class as not a real class anyway, right? And therefore, the stuff we're learning, even if it's great, it just has kind of less of an impact. So flip that. And that's where I hope educators really fall in love with this book is saying, okay, how then do we incorporate this into my practice in a way that recognizes it's not a curriculum, doesn't work, I don't have any time, and I may not be an expert. And that's where the three keys are, just simple clarity, modeling, and routine. Those are the three points that are kind of the fabric of the book. And each chapter goes into, okay, so what does it mean with those three for each of these executive functioning skills? Yeah, I've, I've lived through that as a student, as a teacher, as an administrator with those <laughs> curriculums, and I was extremely bored, and I knew my students were going to be extremely bored, and that's exactly what happened. So I thought your examples were spot on in the book, and so I'm oh, so glad that you. you talked about that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. So Mitch, the rest of the book really kind of hones in on, you know, different ways to work with different aspects of the executive functioning. So like working memory, do you just want to kind of work through those chapters and kind of sure. get some tips as far as, cause I don't want to like go through every piece of the book, but oh, you got to pick up the book, everybody. I, I know, Come I on. I got to get to the book, but I want to direct them in and let them understand at least, uh, you know, where you're going in that journey. And so right. the first piece is working memory. So do you just want to give maybe some tips uh, for those who are working specifically on that component? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just because I know you can't see this if you're listening, but the book um, hones in on six specific executive functioning skills. Yep. And at the same time, each chapter is going to, to address those. Um, and they are specifically working memory time and task management, organizational skills, goal setting, accountability, and self-regulation. So when you pick up the book, you'll notice though a few things that because of those three keys for teaching executive functions, clarity, routine, and modeling. And the whole point is we, we bring about clarity through routine and modeling. So the book actually follows a daily learning routine and talks about how those skills are addressed. So if you can kind of visualize that if you're listening. And the first step in that daily routine, um, which is of course how you would begin the school day or the class period, um, is all about working memory. And working memory to me is just, it's absolutely fascinating and the the growing body of, of research and this kind of emerging you know, science of learning field, if you will, cognitive science, like how we actually learn stuff is really fascinating. And working memory, uh, you know, in, in some ways can be 
be thought of as your short-term memory, which is kind of what does the, the work or the engine for learning. And of course, our goal is to move whatever it is we're trying to learn eventually into our long-term memory, because then we know we, we got it. And you can get deep into the weeds here very quickly. And I tried not to. I tried to really, you know, explain it. But the point is the routine. And, you know, working memory has a, a capacity to it. It's what we know at this point. And that is to say that, you know, some, and there's some great books on this, but some refer to it as like the tentacles of an octopus. And an octopus, you know, you could have five or four or six or seven, depending on you, you and how you learn. But you're not going to magically go and add tentacles to the octopus, right? You get what you have. And so I like to use the word, and I hope you saw this and kind of picked up on it in the book, Josh, is flexing one's working memory, because that's where that like dexterity and that agency comes from, in my experience. And the way that's done is through a process called retrieval practice. Um, and as a side note, I'm absolutely humbled. I don't know if it was included in the, the draft copy I sent you, but... For everyone else listening, there's a book called Powerful Teaching, and one of the co-authors is a friend, Patrice Bain, who was kind enough to write the foreword for my book. Um, and that's a great resource as well. Shout out to them. Um, they do a lot with retrieval practice and specific strategies. A lot of that you'll see in my book as well. Um, but the whole idea is the more opportunities that I get to go back and access or retrieve or interact with things that I'm learning or experiencing, the more likely I am to learn them, okay? And this is built on Marzano's and others work around exposures. The more exposures I have in a kind of a set period of time, the more likely I am to learn something. But the reason for that is I'm flexing my working memory. I'm going back, I'm retrieving, I'm holding that information in cognitive space long enough to do something with it. And then I'm putting it back. And so the more I get to do that, so the, the more likely I am to learn it and it goes into my long-term memory. The point of the book is saying, so what does that look like in the first three minutes of your seventh grade ELA class? That's what I want to talk about because then it's going to happen. And so we go into the routine of, well, if I begin, there's certain steps that it'll, it'll show you, but with a simple review and reteach of things we've learned previously, that simple act can absolutely amplify the learning that's happening in the classroom because one, I'm clearing up misconceptions. I'm creating an environment where it's okay to be struggling, right? I go into that a lot in the book and I'm increasing those exposures, which means my students get practice flexing their working memory each day by virtue of retrieval practice. So there's like win, 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 win scenario. And it's got a small, you'll, you'll hear this, read this over and over in the book, very small time footprint with this work because teachers have a job to do. And as I mentioned, they don't have time to do that in the first place. So I did see the foreword by Patrice and she did a phenomenal job. So she did. Yeah, I was, oh man, incredible. <laughs> so grateful. Yeah, it's awesome. So, well, the other thing I like to in addition to what you were talking about, because I think it is like simple steps here and it's, it's not overwhelming, but you know, you have great resources and then the visual aspect too. I love all the like organizational design that you have in there too. I think it's uh, mm. very easy to kind of see the flow. 
And Mitch, cool. I, I know you said, you know, there's like six components here and um, looking at the time, you know, we probably don't have enough to, to go through, you know, all of them, but is there another one that you really want to touch on today um, in regards to the executive functioning skills? Gosh. Yeah. I mean, they're, I, I know they're all important. They're so they're all important. <laughs> you know, what, I'll, I'll just take a step. I'll, I'll talk about because of organized binder, I'll talk yeah. about organization. And Perfect. I do think in terms of the ability to self-regulate, which I should mention that mm -hmm. um, I stepped over it. Self-regulation didn't get its own chapter because it's, it's part of the fabric of each step of this routine is part of all of these executive yeah, functions. The and for example, when I'm organized, whoever I am, adult, student alike, um, I'm more uh, effective at whatever I'm trying to accomplish. I'm usually more efficient. And the truth is I just feel better. And I have a great story that I'm not going to tell because you got to read it from one of my interactions with one of my students who got organized and um, and what happened with, with that experience. But that's a little hook for you all. But um, yeah, I think that when we look at, you know, this work is kind of being foundational. Organization is a huge piece because we all know that there's kids who still stuff everything into their book bag or into their desk, or it just ends up on horizontal surfaces or it just all over the place, right? And we also know that that is increased. I think teacher, I mean, I think I know the conversations I'm having with teachers, they're just like, oh my gosh, like, interrupted learning or learning loss or whatever you want to define the, the experience in the pandemic was real and it left an impact and we have to address that and I think modeling for students each day what it looks like to get and stay organized until they start to develop that skill on their own is paramount if you're going to even address all these other skills and so in in that daily routine and you'll see this around self-regulation. We know that simple checklists can help. I keep wanting to say students, but people in general will say students um, with self-regulation, right? And so when you look at the steps and a lot of those visuals that we created for the book, shout out to Peter Thompson who created all those. The That's kind of like a checklist. Each step, each, okay, I did that, did that. Well, the third step is taking a handful of seconds and for us, it's always a table of contents and saying, okay, here's where we are in the sequence of this unit. We're on assignment number seven, which means you should have one, two, three, four, five, six behind your table of contents. And showing that, literally like illuminating it or projecting it for students to see, hey, this is what your table of contents should look like. And another piece to this is the class sample portfolio. That's that modeling piece where I can actually show you in the real world what it looks like to be organized. And, and one of my sayings that you'll come across in the book is that when everything has a place where it lives, it's more likely to find its way home. And having a very explicit, but super easy to implement and follow um, method for organization makes that possible. And each day we visit it. So I might've misplaced number five. Well, go find it. Pull it out of your book bag, get it out of your desk, or maybe I collected it. I'm not done grading it. I haven't had it back, but now all of a sudden I know that I don't have that. So because we're running out of time, I thought, yeah, touch on organization because it's really interesting 
and it, again, highlighted from the, the story from my student, but just what I've seen over the years is that when students just get organized, then, you know, the possibility, I mean, and, and we know the data on that, right? Just like the power of zero, like just stuff that's done and not turned in, like, or partially done or, you know, that kind of thing. But I will say this, everybody, I know it can be kind of intimidating if you're a teacher or a school leader listening um, and maybe you struggle with certain, uh, you know, of these skills, certain skills or executive dysfunction, or you're just like, hey, I need help with this. Because this is all about routine, establishing a routine and modeling, it's actually executive functioning for teachers as well. Because this, one of the byproducts for example, with this, the organizational piece is that students create a year long or a course long, if it's a semester, um, like a block schedule or a college course, they create a course long portfolio of everything they've learned and experienced that they take with them, right? Some of the schools that we work with call it the crown jewel, but there's a class sample. So the teacher is also creating a course long portfolio that every single day has a beginning prompt that's tied to retrieval practice and working memory, a concluding reflection. Uh, they're mapping out when we do time and task management, what's done each day in class. There's this table of contents for each unit. There's a toolbox. Like they have that as well. And I've had, I've seen it and we've always, you know, it, you know, my work is about training educators for the impact on students, but it has just as significant an impact on teachers as well. Felt like you were speaking from experience with the disorganization. Like I'm imagining my students as things were pouring out of their book bags or lockers and just the time lost, just searching for the smallest little item. And right. then you complicate that with the pandemic where they may not have anyone speaking into their life in regards to organization. They might be on their own behind a screen. Right. And, you know, now we're starting to see the ramifications of that where they don't possess the skills at all and it might just be pure chaos. So um, I think your book is so timely with yeah. the aftermath of, of just so much that has gone on the last couple of years and the deficiency of so many of these skills that you speak on. So for mm -hmm. our listeners, if they're like, you know, on fire for what we're talking about, which I hope they are because it is extremely important, where can they go to check out and get more information in regards to the book? Yeah. Um, the easiest way uh, is organizedbinder.com slash book. All right. Um, it actually, the publication date is in February of 24. And the pre-orders, um, the date hasn't been established yet, but it will be, um, from my understanding, at some point in the fall. Um, and so what we have going at organizedbinder.com slash book is just a simple list Um and all we're going to do is send you an email to say, hey, pre-orders are available and you can grab your copy um, right then. So that would be the the easiest and most efficient way. Now, we I am super honored to be working with Corwin. They're the publisher. But again, that won't the, the actual date will be in February, I think, the 15th of 2024. And so what I would like to do, if this is resonating with you, one, reach out and say hi anyway. Um, 
two, get, get yourself on that list so that not only will we tell you when the pre-orders happen and you can pursue, we'll just stay in touch and not in a newsletter spam you away. This is not signing up for the organized binder newsletter. This is just a simple list um, and it'll take you about 10 seconds. I think it's your first name and email and, and then we'll send a, a blast out. So that would be the easiest way to get a hold. Awesome. And Mitch, if they want to connect with you further, just in addition to the book, how might they find you either on social media or via website? Yeah. Uh, via website, organizedbinder.com, hit the contact link, um, that, and just say, Hey, I heard Mitch on this podcast. I want to talk to him. Then that'll get sent to me or email me directly, Mitch at organizedbinder.com. And I really mean that reach out. I would love to hear from you. In fact, that's how I conclude the book. I, there's an invitation to let's talk because just like Josh and I are doing now, these are fun conversations to have. Yep. And uh, if I can help at all, reach out Mitch at organizedbinder.com. And then all the social channels are at organizedbinder. And you can reach me there if you're persistent. And that's a <laughs> shout out to Sarah Oberly for her patience. And I think we talked about this with my presence on social. I'm getting better, you're everybody. Getting better. That's the main piece, Not right? Really. For, for everyone listening, it's just about being better every single day. So room for growth. Mitch is room doing for that. growth. <laughs> and for those who are, you know, reading the book at the end, and and he he means it. And Mitch is, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, man. Yeah. On camera or off, uh, recording or not, it's it's always a great time. And so I, I just encourage anyone that's listening, Mitch is for real. If, if you want to reach out, if you have questions, if you need support, he's there for you. And uh, I just hope that you, you know, hear these powerful words. Um, I know that, you know, I shared this earlier, but I, I truly mean this, that this book is phenomenal. I hope you get a copy and uh, definitely connect with Mitch. So, buddy, it's always fun oh, pleasure yeah. um i love the work that you're doing and i'm super excited about this launch i can't wait to promote it myself and and get behind um everything that you're doing so thank you again for being a two-time guest on aspire to lead thank you josh super honored fun to be here echoing everything you just said appreciate it